Los Angeles Approach Control, this is Cessna 0281 Echo 119.3, over. Cessna 81 Echo, that sound effect bruh well we lost our sound effect abilities because i don't want to pay zencaster nah don't need to premium membership one day we'll get it when this podcast uh reaches the the highest heights stratic stratospheric heights to which Mm -hmm. it is currently ascending Mm -hmm. we will we will then spend the $15 a month for a premium. <laughs> <laughs> Once we get to 15 listeners, it'll be yeah. justified. <laughs> we're at, uh, we're at three right now. You know, yep. it's been a while since we've done a Teddy Bronson salute. Maybe we should do one of those. Oh my goodness. I forgot all about Ted. Teddy Bronson's still with us. Teddy. Wow. You know, speaking of Teddy, John, I'd like to start this episode off. Mm-hmm. With a, an invitation, an invitation to our new listeners, of which there are many. Really? Um, I'm going to put myself out there, John. I'm going to put us out there. I've okay. already kind of hinted at this. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, we were putting out episodes. We kind of plateaued mm-hmm. on our listenership at somewhere in the range of, you know, a good episode that had a catchy title, you know, Ah. that kind of thing versus, you know, we, we, we had, we had things that were kind of, we were just figuring it out, but I'd say when we really hit our stride starting, you know, in the, the low teens up Mm. through the, the low thirties, basically before production started, we were plateauing in the range of 200 to mm, 300 downloads listens etc per episode right which you know i'm proud of that i'm very proud of that because that's a lot of people you know you picture 200 people in a room um you know we first got this thing going i emailed literally everybody i knew Mm -hmm. i bugged the shit out of them and that was about maybe 150 people yeah because you you know it sounds you think you're like how many people do i know oh guaranteed 600 nope you mm. probably only would actually know a hundred and something people yeah. well enough to actually email them. Yeah, know? there's a thing called the the this is slightly related, but the Dunbar number. Have you ever heard of this? Mm. No, I haven't. The Dunbar number is the number of people that you can successfully keep in your life at any given moment. Ooh, what's the Dunbar number? It varies from person to person. I don't exactly mm. know what it is. I think I heard that on Radio Lab. Um but Dunbar's number, I, I know about four people, so yeah, this is all on you, dog. Yeah, you, you were no good. I'm in the basement by myself. Although you, you guys- got your brother, you got your <laughs> yeah. brother to listen. Uh, well, I didn't get my brother to listen. Does your, yo, you're right, he just started listening. Does your wife listen? Mine doesn't. No, she, she doesn't. I don't think, yeah, I don't think mine has, I think Kelly has maybe listened to max four episodes. Um, you said how many people did you email? 150? Okay, I, I think I, I made a spreadsheet, and I'm pretty sure there was a range of about 150. That's both kind of personal 
as well as business um, professional folks. And and it's not that I couldn't have come up with a larger list. I just I'm not going to spam people. You well, know, listen, so listen I to only this. emailed people that I thought would actually be interested. Yeah, this is from Wiki. By using the average human brain size and extrapolating from the results of primates, Dunbar proposed that humans can comfortably maintain only 150 stable relationships. There you go. That sounds like a lot to me. Oh, that's a ton. Because I really don't think I have what I would consider a stable relationship with 150 people. Yeah. I'd say I have acquaintanceship. Mm -hmm. Is that a word? Yeah, sure. Acquaintanceship. It is now. You put ship on the end of it, and it becomes a word. <laughs> a new word. Yeah. That's how German word. works, I think. Mm. Um, so, okay, John. Well, so I bring this up because, um, okay, so we launched. I'm looking at our, you know, quick shout out to Pippa. Yeah. Pippa.io. Check good. out Pippa.io. If, you, um, if you're also a, an algorithm-generated podcasting robot like we are, you might want to check out Pippa.io. It's a great podcasting hosting site. It's affordable. The interface is delightfully easy to use. You know, it, it, great customer service. There's this little button in the bottom right-hand corner, yeah. and I just hit it anytime I want, and boom, somebody's right there to talk to me. And it's usually one of the same five people. You know, it's not like some rando. It's someone who actually works at the company and actually knows what they're doing. How frequently do you use that? At the beginning, just constantly, you know, not anymore much. Um, gotcha, okay. So, okay, so I'm going to go back to the beginning, John. July 6th was the first time we uploaded an episode. Wow. That was before we even launched it. That was just like us effing around, getting a few episodes in the in the mix. Um, July fourth, fourteen downloads. I don't even know who these fourteen <laughs> people are. I didn't even tell my grandma about this at this point. Some guy in India, fourteen downloads. Mm. Um, You're still listening now. Exactly. You know, we were averaging between two and fourteen, so let's call that seven or eight um, until July twenty eighth. I emailed a butt ton of people on. July 30th. That day we got 60 downloads. On July 31st we got 133 downloads. On mm. Ju- on August 1st we got 79 and then it kind of starts going back down from there. And then we have these little spikes, you know, a high spike. I'm 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 so, you know, that that begins kind of our regular output. Mm. Now, I'm going to skip ahead. We had a big day. I I still never figured this out. On Tuesday, November 13th. So at this point, we've put out quite a few episodes. Mm. Um, I don't even think we released an episode on the 13th, if I remember correctly. That, for a long time, was our daily download record at 185. Now, every Tuesday when we released an episode, we were hitting a pretty consistent spike of about 115 to 120. Yeah, That was kind of our... Hey, we put out an episode. Let's, you know, people are listening. So, you know, by the end of the day, like people would play catch up, all that kind of stuff. We were at a few hundred downloads, let's say, per episode for a while. We hit 185 on November 13th. Mm. Numbers went back down for a little while. Blah, 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 blah. Then we skip ahead. Then production starts, John. So we're, yeah. so, you know, we're averaging, let's say, I don't know, 50 a day, something like that. Um, we're, we're, we're jumping ahead. We're putting out episodes 
and again, I'm, you know, I'm thrilled with those numbers, 150 people, 200, 300, 400 people listening to us yak about nothing. That's great. Mm. In a picture room of 300 people, that's a lot of people, you know, that's a, it's a significant number. And they're listening to us talk for an hour, Mm. sometimes more on bad days. So I want to, I want to first say shout out to all the people who were with us from July 14th, especially our Indian buddy, Mm. the Indian Teddy Bronson, who found Mm. us even before Teddy Bronson did, I think. Or maybe Teddy was one of those first 14 on July 6th. And then skip all the way ahead. So shout out to all those people who stuck with us all the way from July 14th to Monday. No, I'm sorry. Thursday, January 31st. January 31st. I don't know exactly why production started and then people started getting more interested. So January 31st, we smashed our previous record of 185. Is this boring by the way? Am I, am I, is this, should I skip all this? No, no. So November 13th was our previous record 185. January 31st, we had a new record of 236. 236. Um, 236. And you know, it's funny. All we haven't done any promotion since, I don't know, August of last year. I mean, it's been a while. Like, do you tell, we did sort of, do you tell people to listen current, like now? If they seem like the kinds of folks that might be interested. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I don't uh, spam anybody, you know. We've talked about this before. I don't know if it's made it on the podcast or not, but <clears throat> I sandbag in general. It's my technique for life. But I lately, you know, basically since production, the episodes are generally more interesting, mm. I think, right? That's a little inflammatory. <laughs> about I myself, because all before is just me talking about uh, pyramids and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I called somebody, I was talking to, to a friend of ours and at the end of the conversation, we we're talking about some other bullshit. And at the end of it, I was like, yo, I don't know if you're listening or not, but you should be cause it's getting mm. good dog. Mm. Like it's, we're, we're hitting our stride here. Mm. Don't you feel that way? Yes. All right. Yes, I do. Although, you know, maybe I'm doing this subconsciously. I did not plan this. Maybe I'm doing this little retrospective because I wasn't feeling good. I was literally in the shower an hour Today? and a half ago. Yeah, mm. I was thinking, what the fuck am I going to talk about this this episode? Oh. You know, like, why am I even doing this shit? That's what I was thinking about it. No, don't say that. Oh, John, you know I like to say true things. You know <laughs> I like to spill my guts in front of all these people. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. January 31st, new record, 236. Okay. Mm. I don't know who, I don't know who those additional people are. Because I haven't promoted the podcast beyond personal interactions. Right. You know, I don't know where that spike came from. I don't know if there were sort of people who were listening every few weeks who started listening again every day, but I don't even know how they knew production started because I think it was people from production, right? I don't know. There's only 30 people on the team and half of them didn't even know about the podcast till halfway through the production. I started telling people about it. They're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so cool. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even tell you that this existed yet. So hmm. I really don't know who these people are. That's really the point of this. I want to know. I am inviting everybody. Yeah. I want to, we want to know who you are. Yeah. Um, so write us an email, you know, maybe we'll read it. Maybe we'll throw it in the trash. Where do they write emails to? Oh, great question. Um, <laughs> I think you could, well, you could, 
hit us up at um, info at mamabearstudios.com. I think that's probably the best. Uh, info best at M-A-M-A-B-E-A-R studios. Correct. Correct. So I want to keep going with this because this is what's interesting. So I figured, you know, okay, fine. There's a little bit of a spike. You know, people are, people are checking in because of production. But it's continued. It's kind of snowballing now. And, and maybe mm. it's just because the original 100 or so people, 200, 300 people who are listening semi-consistently started telling their friends about it. I don't know. Um, anyway, the point is the numbers have continued to go up the following Tuesday. No, the following Wednesday. Well, the following Tuesday, we did 236. So our previous what record. Day? So Thursday, the January 31st, we did 236. Mm. The next Tuesday, we did 236 again. And that's, I'm not counting every day because that's boring. There's a lot of downloads between, but these are just the spikes. Right. Tuesday was 236. A lot of people watch, listen on Wednesdays because sometimes we put it out at like 10 p.m. West Coast time. Gold. So Wednesday was 296. Mm. And then Thursday was 151. And then Friday was 216. I don't know who these people are. Anyway, hmm. the spikes have continued to grow a little. Um, another little highlight, they've they've stayed in that range. Daily downloads are kind of in the they're now in the like ranging on a bad day, uh, 140. Mm. Um, even on days we don't release to on a good day, um, you know, on March 7th, we had 299. Whew. I know. On April 4th, we had 302. So we're creeping up, John. Big oh, jump. April 17th, 375. Uh-oh. And our last episode, John, April 24th. This is a Wednesday because we put the episode out a little late. 509, baby. Oh, really? In one day. Yeah, that's a good, no that's a good download number, right? Yeah, so anyway, now this really, really surprised me when I started looking at it. Our recent episodes, dude, they're hitting – pretty consistently 14 to 1600 downloads per episode wow. who the fuck are these people john i don't know <laughs> well after um, we mentioned uh, jordan peterson uh, i just imagine that the numbers are gonna plummet yeah. or skyrocket <laughs> exactly um i did love that that clip you cut in of him mm. uh blasting the all right that was great. yeah there's actually a ton more i found incidentally but you know it doesn't prove i, th I thought a lot about this and you know, people bring, if you got a valid critique, bring it up. Let's hear it. Yeah. But, um, you know, just that clip, first of all, he only addresses the quote radical, right? Mm. Not necessarily the right wing in general, although I don't think the guy's right wing, but whatever. Um, I was running today because you and friend of the show, uncle John, uh, have been calling, you know, you guys have been fat shaming me and mm. cardiovascularly mm -hmm. shaming me and mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, I went on a little jog today and uh, running around this fancy pants neighborhood down the street from us. Mm -hmm. And a guy, I'm, I run with my dog, which is a giant Avi. pain. In, Avi, it's a giant pain in the ass because yeah. he's, he's running still a, with two dogs, bro. Oof, no way. But I'm training him as I run, which is super dangerous because he keeps tripping mm. me and nearly killing me. Uh -huh. uh, but he's getting better. So I'm running. I see a guy with a Telluride shirt on and a Husky. Mm -hmm. And we stop and we chat and the dogs are sniffing each other and stuff. And um, I say to him, oh, tell you right, are you in the film industry? And I forget what he said, but he's like, you know, I've been listening to this um, podcast 
uh, it's a, I think it's a dude in Chattanooga. And uh, I, it was cool. You know, he's talking to this guy out in LA and, uh, and they're in you know, the guys in the film industry talking John, about this you. Is totally a joke. And he said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even finish now. I'm Everything. Sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted. No, I just no, you're wanted, good. I wanted it to be true so bad. I know. Me too. Well, I, the, all of that was true up until he, <laughs> up until the podcast mentioned. <laughs> so the interesting part was a yeah, lie. It was a lie, of course, <laughs> as it usually is, ladies and gentlemen. Oh boy. So, well, anyway, to wrap this up, who cares what people think about Jordan Peterson? Um, you know, I, mm. <laughs> I do want to give a quick shout out. Friend of the show, Peter McCrory. Uh oh. Um, was was <laughs> he was one of the people that gave me a hard time, but you know what? I know it was tongue in cheek. So I'm, you know, I'm. Is I he going to Berkeley? He goes to the school named UC Berkeley UC as a Berkeley. PhD student. He's very smart. We were seeing him over Easter, and he gave mm. me a hard time about Jordan Peterson. But I know he was kidding, and I know he probably feels a little bad about it. So I want to give him a shout out. Um, he's studying that- economics. He's very intelligent. You know, Peter and I used to ride bikes to work together. Did you know that? No. Actually. He lived he lived here in town and we both worked at an insurance company downtown. Uh-huh. And you know, we lived a couple miles away and he and I would meet up in the morning and either drive or ride bikes to work together. Hmm. That's so fun. Yeah, it was a hoot. Well, so anyway, um to, to wrap all this up, please write us. Tell us who you are. Info at Mama Bear Studios. You can at us on Twitter. Um, you yeah, can, good luck um, finding my Twitter, folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, no, we are thrilled that people seem to enjoy the show. We're always over the feedback. We always want to hear from you. Um, we're excited that uh, that people seem to be interested. And, you know, quick, quick note. If you're new to the show um, and you're enjoying it, you've been with us for a few weeks, Go ahead, pause the episode, take a quick, 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 quick stop, and maybe just consider, just think about this. Maybe just ponder it in your little, in your little noggin, the possibility that maybe you might want to write us a little review on iTunes because that helps us find new people. Um, and, and I can also say, um, sadly that I think we have received one review on iTunes in the past four months. Was it good or bad? No, it was a good review, but we've quadrupled our listenership and received one review. Right. So I feel like all you folks who are new, we're not asking you for money. We're not asking you to sit through advertising, but you know what you could do? Give us a review. No biggie. It doesn't even have to be good. In fact, I'd prefer it if it weren't. I mean, give us five stars, but you can trash it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five stars, write whatever you want in the review. It's great. Have you seen the Black Mirror episode uh, about social media, about basically about the Chinese credit social score, the social credit yes. score, rather? We we actually talked about this many, many episodes ago, oh. but many of our new listeners probably don't even remember that. So hit me. Well, I, I watched that episode again, and it's uh, it just shows a very, very plausible future where you are constantly rating people around you based on interactions you have with them. Mm. And if your score is too low, you basically become a pariah. You can't get, Mm -hmm. you can't move freely in society. You can't get on planes. You can't 
enter certain locations. And if people think this sounds far-fetched, it's currently happening in China. It's wild. Now, question. Mm. Is there a scenario where properly managed, this is not a bad thing? Now, obviously, the, the chances of it being properly managed and this power not being abused are virtually zero. But yeah. let's imagine a good place. Well, you know what? If it's that good of a place, we don't need it because everybody's acting right. good. For, for whatever reason, this morning I was looking up the um, most remote islands in the world. And there's How an island. Distance from a major city or what? Bingo. Bingo. Okay, got it. There's an island called Trista de Cuna. Hmm. It's in the middle of nowhere. It has 250 people on it right now. It's been basically continuously inhabited since the 1800s. It has had, since its inception to 2003, according to Wikipedia, zero divorces. There's virtually no crime. Super hmm. safe. People are super happy. Yes, yeah, but that's such a small community. You don't need a social credit score because everyone's just keeping track in their heads. I think this is sort of the issue with society in general. I don't want to get off on some ranty tangent here, but we we run into so many people that you don't know constantly, and you just you don't really have the mechanisms to deal with millions of people or thousands and thousands of different people. And the, like road rage, dude, as a for instance, I drive my kids to school every morning and I, I nearly saw this guy kill. Well, I saw a guy nearly kill a couple people. Just by driving like a complete dipshit. Yikes. And I actually followed this guy, not with any intent, but I just happened to be kind of behind him. And he pulls mm -hmm. right into my kid's school. Oh, right? Geez. So I parked the car and I was going to go over and confront him. And like, mm -hmm. maybe the guy's hammered or something. I don't know. He was driving crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I jump out of the car and my, <laughs> my kids, I'm in the parking lot of their school. And my kids are like, no, no, no. They're like freaked out, you know? And I'm like, it's cool. Come on. And I, I go over to like, try to find the guy. Yeah. And he zooms out. He zooms out of the school. So I, I couldn't get a good look at him. But unbelievable. if I knew that person, if it were you, for instance, I probably mm -hmm. would have felt totally different about the whole thing. But Or would you? I would hope not. that you would still come, come be like, hey, dude, quit fucking around with your car. It's a dangerous tool. Yeah, I mean, I did tell I do my think kids. about that, John, you know, because there's a lot of bad drivers around here. Oh, yeah. And, oh, man, dude, it pisses me off. You know, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be driving on the 110. It's this tiny, it's basically like driving in a riverbed. It's tiny. There's no shoulder. There's no nothing. Mm. There's no on-ramps. Mm. It's like a two billion year old interstate mm. and, um, or freeway. And it goes right through the middle of LA and people drive like maniacs and you know what pisses me off everybody you know everybody ugh, we're all so worried about everything and then we forget that everybody's driving around these deadly ass machines mm -hmm. like a bunch of freaking crazy people yeah you know we got to get told, this under control we got to get robots in control you know we need yeah. we need some robots my kids as we were driving I i'm trying to explain to them how serious this really is. And I, I told mm -hmm. them as an analogy, you know, this guy who's driving nuts and nearly killing people, it's really right. not that dissimilar from a guy shooting a gun wildly into, you know, in a public area. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking, I actually thought about that as I was sitting on an on-ramp for the 110 and a guy whipped by 
in the right lane. There's three lanes. You're not really supposed to cruise in the right lane because there's no on-ramp on this highway. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to cruise in the middle lane or the left lane. This guy cruises by at probably 80 miles an hour. And I'm like, that is every bit as dangerous as someone firing a rifle yeah. five feet in a trajectory that takes it three to five feet to the left of me. Right. There's nothing less dangerous about that. If anything, it's more dangerous because it's not that hard to aim a rifle not at somebody. Right. The car is on this fixed trajectory that carries it right next to my car. And if he slams into me at 80 miles an hour, we're probably both dead. Oh yeah. And the only thing preventing him from doing that is his goodwill slash just paying attention. It's yep. very strange. It's scary, that's the world man. we live in, baby. That is the world living on the edge. Mm. I like living on the edge, John. That's why I go skydiving without a parachute. I like to go find <laughs> I like to jump out of the plane and then be like, who's going to help me out? And, you know, of course, everybody's like, dude, you're an idiot. But then as we start falling a little further, somebody's like, well, I got to save, save this guy. Yeah. And they give me their parachute and then they die. And I fall mm. to the ground. Just kidding. That is a little bit what it's like to live in the world. I'm getting depressed again. Let's move on. <laughs> no. Well, before you get too depressed, there is a, a story I read recently about uh, I was reading about airplane disasters mm. and there was a They're story uncommon. Yeah, they are very uncommon. There's a story though. I forget when this happened, but you know, in the 1900s, like in 1970, let's say uh, somebody, uh, John, I hate to break it to you, but airplanes weren't invented until 1973. <laughs> <laughs> Fake news. Um, there was a an airplane that broke up in midair. I forget if there was a bomb or whatever, but this airplane broke up and one of the stewardesses survived the plane breaking up at 30,000 feet. She crashed to the earth in a section no. of the plane and lived. No. Not just lived, but after she came out of the coma, you know, she did physical therapy and stuff and she was virtually fine. Whoa. And she she was a Russian, and the U.S. at first thought this was just some Soviet propaganda, Mm. but it actually was true. The woman was in the back of the plane. It broke up. She crashed to Earth in a Mm. – I think she landed in snow or something, and she survived. Mm. Wow. I wonder, did it do some sort of like like a leaf falling from a tree type thing, you know, where like the air was kind of breaking the – No. No, it just fucking fell? Yeah, I, I remember. Holy smokes! I was a kid. Um, I was in high school. I was either a junior or a senior when uh, September 11th happened, mm-hmm. and there were stories floating around on the internet at the time that people. Unf- this is really sad, but people jumped or were pushed mm-hmm. out of the buildings when they were on fire right. before they collapsed, and there were stories circulating that some people had survived the fall. Hmm. from way atop the building by basically grabbing onto some debris hmm. and like gliding down. Of course, those that were untrue. Yeah. Yeah, they, it was untrue. But um, I remember that vividly. There were hmm. a lot of crazy rumors circulating. That was a, wow. That was a weird time. Yeah. I remember um, they pulled a TV in to our room and we, wa- we watched it. Um, yeah. We watched, we watched uh, kind of the second half of it unfold live while our parents were coming. I mean, to come to get us. It was whew, craziness. Yeah. 
Yeah, we were just um, close enough that it was frightening. You know, we, we mm-hmm. were in Jersey. I mean, we're still yeah. two hours from New York, but you're you no, were three I remember, hours. Well, yeah, I mean, we were in Baltimore, so New York felt very close, and then obviously Pennsylvania and D.C. So, I mean, it, I think everybody in the Northeast was kind of what was extremely shaken up in that way. Um, yeah, it's a weird time. Well, on that light note, um, you know, so John, <laughs> in terms of the meat, meat of meat of this episode, the beef. Um, I, I thought it'd be fun. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play, um, I've got to cut it first, which I'm going to do right away, but I'm going to play a little, a a short little cut together of some fun audio that I recorded the night of the screening. Um, hear some voices, you'll get to hear some people say some things. Don't get your hopes up too much. It's coming up right now. Um, but I think it'll be fun. All right, great. Who's next? Oh, hi, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Eric. Eric, what uh, what, what do you do? Um, well, I paid for this movie. Okay. <laughs> Excellent, thank you, Eric. You're welcome. Is there, uh, are there any, Eric, would you like to discuss any of your expectations about what you're hoping to receive in return creatively <laughs> for this, for, uh, for, for paying for this movie? Uh, I'm expecting to be very gratified by this viewing, um, as long as it doesn't run too long. What would be too long? <laughs> wow, that's a good answer. What uh, would be too long? Uh, I'm not going to answer that question. I'll be outside. Any any parting thoughts? I I, I Zay, if you're do it, Zay. I, just do just it. Just do it, man. Just, just Nike that shit. Just nut nut up and cut at everything that does not need to be in the movie, and it's going to hurt, but it's going to feel so good. It's going to feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't recording? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, that would be so gnarly. Okay, so we're back. Um, one of the people that I wanted to introduce is Eric, who you uh, who you heard. Eric yeah. is our uh, one of our executive producers. He financed the movie. Um, we haven't talked about Eric a whole lot because I, I wasn't sure. Some people kind of like their privacy. Other people don't care. I love Eric, and I, I want to talk about him, and I asked him, and he said it's cool. Um Eric is one of our, he's the guy basically made rollers possible. Mm. And, um, he is from New York. Uh, he's kind of a tech OG because a few people probably know this, but Eric started a company called Flickr mm. with some other folks back in the day. And then they sold it. Flickr and was then, a, an early photo sharing. Yes. It still exists. Site. Oh, it does. There's a great How I Built This with Stuart Butterfield, who is uh, one of the other co-founders. Really great to listen to. Um, kind of a, a feels like a similar vibe, but um, Stuart Butterfield know, also. Hour. Okay, well, you're getting to that. Never mind. Keep going. Well, yeah, no. So all I was going to say is they they sold Flickr to Yahoo, stuck around for a little while, left, started building something else. It didn't work out as well as they wanted, and then they eventually built Slack, which. Uh, I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast are at least vaguely familiar with. Um, so, you know, Eric is a super interesting dude who is investing in some cool shit. So, you know, it's cool. Cause like with Eric, I just want to give him a shout out partly because, you know, you never know what people want out of things. Um, and, uh, there was definitely, there were times where I was like, ah, maybe just, maybe Eric's just doing this to just see what happens. But mm. I want to give him a specific shout out cuz Eric flew all the way out here from New York. Yeah. to be a part of the screening. Gave 
incredible feedback. And then he also home. showed up at production. I saw him at he production. He also showed up at production. He was there for like four days. Um, so he's a great dude. And I just want to give him a shout out because A, the project wouldn't be possible without him. B, he he's still going above and beyond. And um, his feedback is highly valued. And because uh, he's an incredibly smart dude. You don't, you're, yep. you know, you're not the part of the founding team of two of the most important sort of game changing apps of the century uh without uh without being a pretty pretty intelligent guy so yeah. we're well, we're happy to have him on board i've met eric i know eric and he gave me i think he gave a bunch of people this but th- there was a book that i read about years ago uh by luigi serafini and it's, it's luigi serafini luigi and he wrote a book uh, it's really a codex and it's very bizarre it's um it's drawn in a very fantastical style it's a big thick book with these beautiful color drawings all throughout it and it's written in an in indecipherable made up language mm. um, but it is internally consistent it appears to be so they actually have run this through some if I'm if my memory is right, they've run this through some linguistic software, and it does have the hallmarks of um, a real language. The wow. book is called Codex Seraphinianus, hmm. and it's very good, and it's relatively obscure and certainly not inexpensive. But Eric, um, Eric gifted me one of these, and it's sitting on my shelf upstairs. It's absolutely gorgeous, and. That is super cool. The story I heard of, he apparently also and independently appreciated that book. So he went to a bookstore uh, and got several copies of it and went around his neighborhood in up in New York and gave out copy, gave out copies from a wheelbarrow, a, <laughs> weir, a wheelbarrow to his friends. I did not get, because obviously I'm not up in New York, but also probably not close enough to be included in that uh, original gifting process. Later, when I told him that I loved the book, and I went, (coughs) hint, hint. You were like, hey, where's my book? Hey, bro. No, but shout out to Eric. Eric's a great guy. Um, He gave you some feedback, and you, you found this helpful. I did find it helpful. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Bryce afterwards, and... Bryce, Bryce was like, Bryce was like, man, uh, Eric was brutal. You know, he's like, mm. he clearly loved the movie. Otherwise he wouldn't have even bothered to be brutal, but it was just funny because he was like, I'm so used to being kind of insulated from, from the, the sort of the people who write the checks. And I was like, I know that's sort of how it's always done, but I kind of don't like that. Like, I kind of like the idea that everybody on the project has, multiple values to bring not right. just not just one um well eric you know, isn't was... he's not some some you know playboy no. throwing throwing cash around he's a right. truly intelligent guy so you do want a guy like that to give you feedback right absolutely no i've got plenty of um playboys throwing cash around that I call <laughs> that's why we do well, this podcast together exactly, right but right no but i don't invite them to the screenings and they certainly don't come you know hmm. No, but anyway, so um, quick shout out to Eric. Um, and, you know, I, I guess, you know, the short version of kind of an update is I still haven't dived, I still haven't doven. Divin, divin, dived. I have not dived into, I've not gone back into the edit yet. 
Um, this is uh, this is Friday. So this episode, by the time this episode comes out on Tuesday, I will have dove in back into the edit. Um, I'm planning this right after we record. I'm going to listen to, and let me see how long it is, a one hour and 10 minute recording of everyone thrashing my movie while I'm not present. So that's going to be interesting. Mm. Um, But I'm excited about it because you know what? I've got some distance and I'm ready to make this thing rock because you know what? Right now, um, the only form that the movie exists in is one that I am not satisfied with. So as, as painful as it will probably be to dive back in, I'm actually pumped because I get to start reshaping it and 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 making it good you know and I've, I've been thinking about it i think a lot of people were a little worried about me after the last episode understandably well i don't know i, I don't think but you know no not I, worried but just like so. I, not worried but i i did get some nice feedback where people are like man i've been there it's brutal you know i get yeah. that like from fellow directors things like that but i just want to say on the record i'm doing great you know i'm a little i'm a little depressed cuz cuz i'm a depressed guy sometimes but i'm not really depressed cuz of the movie i'm actually feeling great cuz of the movie um and i'm excited to get back in there because i think like i've said i think there's a great movie in there and and kind of the next step uh starting this weekend is that i'm going to do what uh, Bryce referred to as a kamikaze edit. I'm just going to fly in there, chop a bunch of stuff up. It's not going to be neat, you know, I'm not gonna, but I'm just going to chop it down. I'm just going to go with my gut. I'm going to follow some some feelings. I'm going to follow some feedback. I'm going to get another cut together and I'm going to see where that leaves me kind of before I start getting too attached to the deets again, you know, because I think it could be a relatively I don't want to say painless. There's plenty of pain left, but I I think it could be a relatively streamlined process between yeah. here and um, the next step, which, you know, the next step is going to be basically locking an edit. We call that picture lock. Um, hmm. I don't know exactly how long we're going to take on that, but pretty soon I'm going to have a pretty finalized ish edit. And then I'm going to hand it over to, all the other folks who are going to be helping with post um, post production. So we've got uh, Dan, who's going to be our composer. Is our composer? He's already worked on some music for the movie, but um, you know he's going to start composing music. We've got Stan Post, um, who's going to be doing our sound editing and mixing and color and all that kind of good stuff is going to begin very soon. And then the hope is uh, we're going to be submitting. You know, this is okay. I'm going to pause because this is another one of those things that I think. I, on a gut level, I hesitate to mention this because if we don't go to this festival, everyone will know that we wanted to go to this festival. But you know what? C'est la vie, baby. I'm putting it all out there. We are trying to get into Toronto International Film Festival. I don't know if it'll happen. It's extremely difficult to get in. Mm. It takes place in the fall in a little town called Montreal, Canada. Oh, just kidding. It takes place in Toronto, Canada. What province is Toronto in? Ontario. Oh boy. This is bad. Edit this is time. like when people from Canada <laughs> think that Mississippi and uh California are right next to each other. I love Canada, dude. I've been mm. listening to Rush. We play Guitar Ooh. Hero in my house, me and my boys. Oh, baby. Guitar Hero is an excellent game. 
It's so great. Yeah, we're only like 15 years behind in the gameplay mm-hmm. uh, technology here, but we there's it never got uh, better than Guitar Hero though. It's so sick. And in the version that we have, it's an old one, but it, it one of the final battles is playing the entirety of the opening of Rush's seminal album 2112. It was one of mm-hmm. my favorite albums when I was in high school. It's a great conceptual album. And dude, this is a sort of a mind blower because I'm a, I was a 16-year-old kid in Jersey. My greatest aspiration was just to live in New York, mm. full stop, which I did briefly. But I loved Rush, and I was just a, a dingus listening to Led Zeppelin and Rush. And now, last night, I was sitting with my sons. The three of us and my wife were playing Guitar Hero together. Mm-hmm. And my sons are playing Rush's 2112 on Guitar Hero. And my son, my older son turns to me and he's like, I love this. Mm. Like, and I said, oh, the, I said, you love the game? He's like, no, I love these songs. That's awesome. And I just sort of sat back and I was like, man, full circle, baby. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I partly love that because I can relate so much. I think... I was always, I've always loved um, rock and roll to some extent because I kind of grew up with it. My parents introduced me to it, thankfully, and and all that. But also, you know, I I found a lot of artists that I really love on Guitar Hero. Yeah. Um, Really? Oh, yeah. And I can still remember a handful of the solos that I learned. I mean, yeah, Guitar Hero was a hoot. Um, I was never as good at it as my brother Paul, who beat the whole thing on Expert, I think, because he's no yeah yeah i'm pretty sure he's a freak but uh, i'm at a medium level yeah you know it's okay you got to push yourself get up to hard hard is where you really start i think playing a lot more notes and that's what makes it harder but you add the pinky yep you know you get all it's it's a blast it's an absolute hoot um but i'm excited you know i'm i'm uh i'm feeling good i think the next well tell us the process about getting into toronto i mean i know you 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 wanted to hedge your bet and you didn't so it's out in the open how do you get into toronto film festival okay so let me see when the dates are september 5th to september 15th um the way you get in is you fill out a brief application and send them a link to your movie and they, I'm assuming if it's anything like the other top tier festivals in the world, I'm guessing they get in the range of a couple thousand feature submissions. Gee whiz. I don't know. Hold on. Let me, let me see if I can find a number. Um, you know, this is part of the problem is it's so much more attainable to just finish a movie. I'm not saying a good movie. Right. But to finish one. Um, it is more attainable than it's ever been. So the numbers of how many f- films get submitted keep going up. And the problem is that the number of good films uh, may or may not be increasing, but the number of films being submitted that must be screened is certainly submit uh, increasing. And so there's a fear that, oh, cool. Toronto International Film Festival has been around since 1976. It's also the year that the album 2112 by Rush was released. Oh, was it? Oh, Sundance Film Festival was 78. Yeah, so it predates Sundance. And Sundance, honestly, was not on the map 
in 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 a very large way until you know the early 90s when tarantino mm-hmm. and wes anderson those guys started coming through but anyway so um and and harvey weinstein oh <laughs> uh, who's probably sailing in his yacht right now um, no you think no, so what, what, i don't think he's in jail i mean I he's not know. in jail but did you see the video of him trying to eat at that restaurant in arizona no he was in this was right after all this stuff broke about him he was at a he fled town hollywood i guess and went to arizona mm-hmm. and was in a disguise eating dinner at some fancy pants restaurant mm-hmm. and a guy walk up walked up to him and just started accosting him Wow. I have no clue how he recognized him, but there's a video of it floating around. Interesting. That guy will be hounded I, um, for the rest of his life, and perhaps well, I kind of hope so. Yeah, yeah. Hence the yacht part, though. Yeah, Maybe he's on a yacht to avoid the um, issues. Little, little maritime law type situation. Yeah. Little pirate life. Anyway, mm. I don't know how many films are submitted to Toronto, but it's a lot. And they don't accept that many of them, maybe a hundred ish. And a lot of those are produced by famous people and star giant stars. So it's not easy to get in. Um, Don't quote me on the numbers, but I can tell you the percentage is low, especially when you consider that the barrier to application is making an entire feature. It's not like you could. It's not like a college application where you just write a little essay. You got to write the little essay sometimes and you got to make a feature. It's a pain. What's the definition of a feature? Usually they have guidelines. The Screen Actors Guild definition sets the minimum length at 80 minutes while AFI and BFI definitions call any film longer than 40 minutes a feature. Yeah. So anyway, I, you know, I want to go to Toronto. Um, uh, if we don't get in, here's the thing about fel- festivals that everyone should understand. It, yeah. Well, there's a million factors that go into it. For instance, who watches it? Because usually, I think most festivals have some sort of policy where at least, I know this is kind of how, I think this is how uh, South By or Sundance works. I can't remember. I was talking to one of the programmers and I was like, how do you guys actually do this? And basically the way it works Again, don't quote me on this, but I'm just trying to give you a picture. The way it works is effectively um, two people, often one or both of them are freelance assistant programmers effectively because there's so many movies that the full-time programmers, which is usually a very small number of people, maybe three to five, I don't know, um, can't watch them all because I was talking to a programmer at South By and I was like, I was talking to this guy, Jared, who's the head feature programmer at South by. And I was like, yo, how does this work? And he was like, well, I watched five to six movies a day for four months. <laughs> and no. I was like, yeah, I was like, holy smokes. So, you know, Jared's a smart dude and he, he's been doing this a long time. So he knows how to watch a movie, whatever. But you know, the problem is the thing with these festivals, man, it's tough, you know, and, and they, they come up with creative ways to make sure that you don't just kind of fall through the cracks, but of course people still fall through the cracks. It's impossible not to, Mm. that's not even a critique of the festival. It's just reality because you know, you, you get watched. So the way I was told that some festival, I don't remember if it was South by or not, the way I was told it works is basically two people watch the movie. 
Um, one of them may be someone who's a head programmer. One of them might not be someone who's a head programmer. It's very, you know, that's one of the benefits of having friends at festivals is that the chances of a, a real decision maker seeing the movie before it gets filtered out are much higher because what can happen is that typically, as far as I understand, most festivals have some sort of version of this policy where two people watch the movie. If they both give it a thumbs down, the movie's out. Mm. If they both give it a thumbs up, the movie automatically gets put into a different category of like new reviews, right? Like mm. a next tier of review, like a, a, a another key programmer or a head programmer, somebody might watch it. And then if one gives it a thumbs up and one gives it a thumbs down, it's in sort of another category where someone else, a third person will watch it, but there's still kind of a little bit more ambiguity about what may happen with it at that point. Then I was talking to somebody at Sundance. I do remember that this is specifically Sundance because we were trying to get a movie in and we did, but I was, we were like, I, you know, I was asking somebody, I was like, how does this work? And they were like, well, dude, it's insane because we, you know, Sundance, I don't know how many films they accept, but Basically, the gist is there has to be unanimous agreement that a movie goes in because there's Whoa. so much uh, among all the head people. There, there's so much nuance. There's so many movies that are always on the bubble. Like, ooh, this is really great. But what you have to remember is they're trying to program a festival. They're not just programming. So, so they're trying to put together a program, which means they can't just program blanket kind of quote unquote the best movies because part of what they're trying to do is present a mix of like the types of creators who make them so especially now which i think is great they're kind of like we need to make sure that at least a certain number of these films are coming from people who are not white men effectively and it has to be that way because otherwise there's so many more white men submitting films that if you don't put it's not even quite the same as like affirmative action it's just kind of like there are just certain criteria so they're they're kind of like we have to really push ourselves like there's only so many genre movies that are going to get in there's only so many comedies that are going to get in there's only sure. so many domestic movies that are going to get in and so what they're trying to do is basically build a cohort is the way i think of it and so mm -hmm. in some cases you might get rejected not because the movie's not good but just because they already programmed one that like because the other thing is people are already submitting to toronto and all these other festivals and so right. we're gonna hopefully hit the standard deadline but you know if you submit late we've submitted movies to sundance weeks after the late deadline and then that's one of the things where you gotta get a waiver but then the problem is you're competing for a much smaller number of slots because say 80 percent of the movies that they're going to program are already in there so now you're competing for a much smaller number of slots. It's, you know, it's kind of a shit show, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I partly explain that because if we don't get into Toronto, I will be a little disappointed, but, you know, mainly, it's not because I don't, I think Toronto, honestly, I love, I love Toronto. I think it's a really cool film festival. And I think, um, I actually haven't been, but I keep reading about it and I keep mm. almost going and then having good reason not to go. But anyway, it's... <laughs> It's a really cool festival because it's a big market. And so it's not just like a little indie festival. There's a there's a lot of people from the industry that go um, not just to buy movies, but to like sell movies that are still in development and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool place to be. And it's very international. You know, it's yeah. not quite as like indie 
as Sundance or South by there's definitely more of kind of a, a big kind of international vibe to it, which some people dislike about it probably. But mm. I think that would be a really cool fit for the movie. And also I would love to premiere this thing in the fall and not in the spring. That's yeah. I'm just a hundred percent honest, but you know what? If we don't get in, it's totally fine. I will not be worried and I will not consider that a, you know, a ding against the quality of the film because all sorts of people don't get in, you know, directors sure. that you've heard of don't get into some festivals. Sometimes it just happens that way. Um, so, you know, it, that's part of the reason I'm willing to put it out there. Cause it's not like, I don't know, man, it's just life. It's just, no, if you're qualified to go to Harvard, there's still a high chance you're not getting in. That's exactly right. Yeah. Hundred percent, and you know, I mean that's why all these people, you know, there's this scandal with USC, which is like ten minutes from my house. It's just big old scandal because all these people are like, well, in some cases, these kids are not qualified to go, but still, it's it's a very popular <laughs> school. California right. is a very large state, and at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who just aren't going to get in, even though they get ridiculously good SAT scores. Because the truth is, they've already filled up those slots, and you know, anyway, yeah. So, well, you know, you could do something creative. Like you said, it takes two thumbs up to get this movie. You know, in certain instances, if you get two thumbs up, it's an automatic go, right? So just rename the movie from Rollers well, to two thumbs up. And then when they say, how was the movie? Well, the movie, two thumbs up. Say no more. It's in. Yeah. Well, I see, that's the crazy thing, though. Two thumbs up just means you get to get reviewed by somebody else. Then Not you get cheap. thrown into a smaller category. Then you probably get thrown into a smaller, even smaller category. Then when they are narrowing down, I'm completely making up these numbers, but let's say they go from 1,500 to 300. Mm. They still have to cut that number in half. And so all 300 of those movies might be high quality, and someone is likely fighting for them to get in. Right. Now the question is, at least at Sundance, and I think a lot of festivals operate this way, you know, eventually maybe we'll have some programmers on the show. That would be kind of cool. But yeah. the point is, um, I was talking to somebody at Sundance and they were like, it just is so insane to get in because there are times where I and someone else are like fighting tooth and nail to get a movie in, but there's two other people who are fighting to get a movie that they love in and they're only one of them's going to get in. So at the end of the day, the entire staff has to come to a consensus about which one is going to get the slot. Right. And that is part of the reason I don't say this is a critique. It's just reality. That's part of the reason that politics play in, you know, a lot of sure. people complain oh, sure. about that in the indie film industry. It's just unavoidable though. Um, I'll say this in closing for me. I have played big festivals and small festivals. And one thing I will say is that affirmation from people that you deeply respect um, goes a lot further than affirmation from people who mm -hmm. you either are indifferent towards or don't respect or directly dis do not respect. Like I have had, I have been to, small festivals and and in some cases I've played small festivals and some small festivals are absolutely terrific. This is not a knock on small festivals. Mm. Some festivals are incredible. Other small festivals are money grabs. And I'm saying that on the record. Chattanooga Film Festival. No, Chattanooga Film Festival is actually terrific. I actually know a lot of LA people who 
travel out there all the time. Yeah. For Dragon Film Festival, they just really had cool. it. Yeah. It's a good scene. But so that's not an example of that. There's a really strong programming tradition at Chattanooga Film Festival. There are other festivals that are purely money grabs and they would not pitch it that way. But basically what they're doing, it's it's kind of like for-profit schools. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're like, we'll give you affirmation and credentials that don't actually mean anything. All you have to do is pay us money. And it's like... <laughs> You know, because what they want is they want the 75 bucks or the 50 bucks or the whatever yeah. to get a bajillion submissions and then they accept them and they set it up at some shitty theater and they don't even really care what plays there because to them, the only thing that matters is that they get X number of submissions and that they spend less than X producing the festival right. they turn a profit. Um, so I do have a problem with those. I think there's a glut of film festivals. I think we should maybe do less of them. Mm. You know, I think we should, um, I think we should, I don't know. I, and I'm saying that not because I think it sucks that there are film festivals. I just think it's a bummer that I know people who have spent a reasonable, a meaningful amount of money submitting to various festivals under the assumption that it meant something to mm-hmm. go, that the, that the affirmation or credentials that you get from ex- being accepted are meaningful. And And this is a word to all of you young filmmakers out there. Uh, it just doesn't matter that much. It matters if it's a festival that you like and that you respect. And if you go to that festival and meet people, that is awesome. You should do that. But I can tell you, I I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that all the laurels on your festival, I mean, on your movie, all the festival laurels, you really only need a few. <laughs> and there's not that many festivals that count for much. The rest of them kind of just cluttered up. And it just isn't, again, it's not that those festivals aren't worth going to. Some of them aren't because some of them are garbage. And, and that's kind of where I was going with it before is like, I've been to a couple festivals where I was like, I'm insulted that this was programmed with mm. my work because mm-hmm. this is not even on the same level as these other three things, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that feels like a bummer. Um, and again, it's kind of like, yeah, well, those might've just gotten accepted because they wanted to accept a certain number. Cash that check. Exactly. Anyway, but that's, um, Sheboygan Film Festival. We're looking at you. (laughs) Teddy, tell us about the Sheboygan Film Festival sometime. I bet you they have one. It's probably dope. That's the thing. Some of those little film festivals in smaller towns are fucking rad. You know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes the ones that I tend to hate the most are the 97th film festival taking place this weekend in Los Angeles. I'm just yeah. like, there's lots of other places to go see movies. I don't need a film festival to come to town in order to see indie films. Therefore, I kind of don't need this film festival to exist because all you're doing is taking people's money. Anyway, God, I'm such a cynic. John, how do I get less cynical? I want to be, I want to be hopeful. I'll edit this guy. to make you sound very hopeful. No, you don't have to edit it. Don't edit it. I want to be real. Um, anyway, well, John, it's been a hoot, as always. Yep. Not a short always. episode. It's a very normal-length episode. <laughs> um, so, Zay, just give us a real quick hit. I mean, you did say this, but just to summarize, your next steps. It's Friday, April the 26th when we record this. Yep. 2019. Uh, in the next week, the next time you and I talk on Friday – what yeah. do you have hoped will transpire? I really, really hope that I have a new finished cut 
that's what I'm hoping for. We'll see if I get there. It probably won't be neat, but I hope that I have a very clear sense at that point of what the following step will be and that I'm a lot closer to handing this 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 off to some other folks. You know, I want to say just to our listeners out there, like if there are any, you got to find people in your life who are going to strengthen you. Full hmm. stop. I mean, you and I and some other people have been talking and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm depressed or anything like that, but I have, I have unhealthy habits. Mm-hmm. Same. And having people in your life who don't just watch you smoke a pack of cigarettes and say nothing, but mm-hmm. instead watch you smoke a pack of cigarettes and say, dog, you got to cut this shit out. Right. That's right. what you need in your life. And right. And also people that lead by example and try to improve themselves. We're all flawed. We're all making huge mistakes constantly. Hopefully you are, or else you're not doing very much. Right. Got to be making mistakes, but you have to be surrounding yourself or try to surround yourself with people that want the best for you, care about you, want to see you in one year from now doing much better than you are right now. Mm. Amen. Dude, that's so true. And I think that's, you know, that's part of the reason I'm thankful for this podcast. Same. Because, uh, you know, today I was like, I feel like a piece of garbage. I almost convinced myself that I am a piece of garbage. And then I had to get on the damn horse again and make this fucking podcast. And now I feel great. You know, now I feel like a million bucks. So I think that's sometimes the case. I think sometimes you just got to push through. You got to fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's kind of what I'm going to do when I get off here and start, you know, listening to the recording is I'm just going to fake it. You know, like I think sometimes it's good to let yourself feel whatever you need to feel. I think sometimes that's exactly what you need to do. And then other times I think it's totally appropriate to suck it up, you know, and it's, I think, man, it's tough to know the difference because all I did for most of my life was suck it up. And now in a way I'm paying for that because I don't know how to manage my feelings, but you know what? That's okay. Cause I now am learning anyway. You know, this is the kind of stuff we've talked about all of this kind of stuff extensively. And I, I think if anyone is wondering why we're spending time on this. I would just say, if you're wondering that, um, maybe you are one of those fortunate people who does not struggle with depression and self-doubt. And I don't have any resentment towards you for that, but I would just say, I hope, I think that based on the number of people listening, um, that a decent number of the people listening to this especially if they're artists, uh, probably also struggle with issues like this. So I'm partly saying all of this because I often used to think that I was crazy for feeling this way because Mm -hmm. no one talks about it. And so I'm kind of trying to, I I think it's part of my mission in life to just be like, shit sucks sometimes. And Mm -hmm. to your point, the only way that that's going to change is if you start opening up to people and giving them an opportunity to speak in your life. So on a final note, you got a, um, I think this is really telling, dude. You got a message that you shared with me from a from a guy who is in the film industry. And when I looked up his CV, I was impressed. You know, it had a lot of stuff that I'm interested in. Stephen King, for instance, he's gotten the rights to some Stephen King works, which yeah. blew, blew me away. And um, I'm trying to think what else, like Narcos and mm-hmm. Rectify. Anyway, he's a big time, big time director. He's a good yeah. dude. He's but a friend he, of ours. Yeah. 
he sent you a note after our previous episode and he said uh he was about to edit or premiere uh or show people some work that he had made and even though he has this impressive body of work mm. he still was describing to you how it was gut-wrenching to put mm. this work out there and i first of all i thought it was really nice of him to say that to you but also it was how how true is that? I mean, it doesn't really if you get into Toronto and you win Toronto, whatever, you're still going to have to make something else. And you're going to go through a process, maybe not identical to this, but you're going to go through a similar process of self-doubt and reflection and wondering, am I doing the right thing? Is this the best it can be, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Or else 100%. you're not at least you should be or else you're not doing it right. I agree. I think um, I think the people that I am most bored by are the ones that are so scared of that feeling that once they get to the point where they can avoid it, they do, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I heard Ron Howard say this one time, you know, Ron Howard, like he's a great dude. He's got he's got some stinkers. He's got some great films. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he said uh, every project will find a way to break your heart at some point. And I think that's. I think mm. that's very true. You know, it's what's funny, John. Classic. That was like a fortune cookie. I heard that quote and I was like, Psh, I don't know. I might be the outlier. <laughs> I haven't broken my heart yet, or maybe yeah. the maybe the heartbreak has already occurred. A week later, yeah, here we are. Anyway, um, well, anyway, John, it's been a real hoot as always. Thanks for, Thanks for talking. Of course. Talk, Talk soon. soon.